watch and listen to the talking news every day at 12 noon and 6 p.m. on Channel 96, Comcast Xfinity, and Channel 30, Verizon Fios. It can also be heard Mondays and Tuesdays at 4.30 p.m. and Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. on Channel 9 Xfinity and Channel 29 Fios. Listen anytime on the BMC Podcast Network on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search for the Belmont Media Podcast Network. And now on to the talking news. The Challenges of Suicide Prevention by Eli Sherman. Not much time passed in the lead-up to Ron Lenari's attempted suicide in 2009. He had recently purchased a new condo after a successful career in academia, but fell quickly into a state of depression when he suddenly lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in a scam. He started hearing voices inside his head and eventually made an attempt on his life. The, sp- the tailspin was, wasn't years, it was months, Lenari said. I saw no way out. Lenari's story echoes thousands of others throughout the Commonwealth and across the United States and illustrates why suicide prevention is in many ways difficult because it's not always connected to mental illness. Indeed, more than half, 54%, of people who die by suicide have no known mental health condition, according to the United States Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And with federal, state, and private entities have spent hundreds of millions of dollars on trying to understand suicide and suicide prevention, suicide attempts and deaths continue to climb. In Massachusetts, 631 people killed themselves in 2016, which is about 165 more deaths than were counted in 1999, according to the CDC. Nationwide, suicide rates, meanwhile, increased 30% during the same period, and it's likely the numbers are understated. Absent evidence, such as a note describing one's intentions, determining suicide deaths can be tricky for medical examiners. Additionally, many believe a portion of fatal overdoses happen on purpose, but are not counted as suicides. In Massachusetts, there were 2,227 overdose deaths in 2016, according to the CDC. We think probably between 25 and 40 percent of drug overdoses may be suicide, but it's hard to quantify, said Reverend David A. Lima, the chairman of the Greater New Bedford Suicide Prevention Coalition, Suicide is now a leading cause of death in the United States, and as the Patriot Ledger reported in an extensive report in March, Massachusetts residents are now more likely to die by suicide than by homicides and car crashes combined. Suicide rates have increased in nearly every state from 1999 through 2016, according to the CDC. The upward trend is clear. Less clear is why it's happening. Belmont resident and practitioner Dr. Mark Green, who runs Psych Garden 25 Flanders Road in Belmont, said the town can help his residents by fostering a sense of community, increasing awareness of risks and intervention options, 
and talking about the struggles that people face. Belmont has a fair share of people with a great financial stress, both in middle and older age. The pressure for success is an increasingly competitive world, as especially affected the, uh, the youth. Housing costs force people to move to cheaper neighborhoods, harming protective social networks, said Dr. Green in an email to the Citizen Herald. Psych Garden offers free groups for individuals struggling. Unfortunately, the medical system is strained in the United States and weak on the public health front, which relies on public funding. That's a political issue that requires action at the ballot box, said Green. And now over to my colleague, Thomas. Continuing on suicide, here's some signs to look for for suicide prevention. Belmont resident Annabelle Banks, who will be studying criminal justice and psychology at Marist College this fall, lost a friend to suicide last April, as well as a neighbor and family friend in the summer of 2016. She also had a friend who attempted suicide during her freshman year in high school. Banks organized a talk on mental health and suicide prevention at Bethel Temple this past March. Based on her own personal experience, Banks said there are a few common warning signs to look for if someone you know may be considering suicide. One is withdrawal from the world around them, whether that may be from people close to them or from their usual activities. Another is extreme changes in their appearance, such as a drastic haircut, said Banks. Banks said another important sign is sudden calmness or happiness after a period of depression. Quote, this can be especially important to look out for, even though most people would see this as a good thing rather than a warning sign. The reason this could point to suicidal ideation is because after directly following a period of depression, feelings such as calmness can mean the person has made the choice to commit suicide and is feeling relief to be ending their suffering in this way, she said. Green said family and friends should look for a change in outlook and interaction with the world. He said these include signs of depression, such as loss of interests, a pervasive sense of bleakness and despair, and black and white thinking which blocks out hope of a solution. Isolation occurs as people feel more hopeless, ashamed, and unlovable, but increases risk as companionship is a basic healthy human need, said Green. Green said when people feel scared and that they are failing, depression, anxiety, and suicide rise. Friends and family often miss the isolation, thinking people just need a little time from themselves or feeling pushed away. But really, they need to know you care and are there for them. Green said talking about the pain and sadness rather than avoiding it is important. It never increases suicidality, but rather allows people to feel cared about and understood, he said. According to Green, some medications can help, but it is not at all clear if antidepressants help or make suicidality worse. They can worsen sleep or increase irritability initially, which has to be monitored, and benefits take weeks to kick in. Psychotherapies can also get people through a crisis, but success depends on a combination of therapist skill and patient-therapist chemistry. Because there are so many factors outside the therapist's knowledge and influence, it can be hard to have a big impact, said Green. That is why brief hospitalization is needed and the involvement of people in the patient's life. 
Once through the crisis, people can quickly feel more hopeful, connected, and useful, he said. And now over to Max. Thank you, Thomas. Four things to know about the Selectman meeting. By Joanna K. Zuvelis. One, contract for smart meters, hardware approved. The Board of Selectmen approved a $1.7 million contract for the hardware for smart meters, which will replace every resident's water meter. The contract does not include installation. Public Works will be requesting bids for installation of the smart meters, and Director J. Mark Cott says he hopes implementation will start in the late fall or early winter. About 9,500 meters will be installed. He expects it to take about 18 to 24 months for the project to complete with 30 to 50 installations per day and estimates the total cost to be $3.6 million, including the hardware. The new meters will allow residents to have instant access to their consumption using an app and even be able to set parameters limiting amounts used. Marcotte said the major benefit for the town will be the ability to better detect leaks. Two, national grid lockout affecting Belmont's road reconstruction product projects. Director of Community Development Glenn Clancy told the selectmen the national grid lockout has caused a delay for the town's road reconstruction projects for Payson and Lawndale Roads and Common and Clifton Streets. He said he wants the community to understand they are aware of the condition of the roads and will make sure they are safe for winter travel. He said he hopes the situation with National Grid gets resolved quickly so they can resume work by mid-September. The last day they can do any paving work is November 1st because it gets too cold, he said. He hopes to get some work completed even if the National Grid lockout isn't resolved. 3. Former resident donates to Belmont Public Library. Philip F. May is leaving 5% of his estate, up to $212,500, to the Belmont Public Library. According to Library Director Peter Strizzario, May was a biologist who lived in town. Such a wonderful gift. We are humbled and proud, said Board of Library Trustees Chairman Kathy Keohane in an email to the Citizen Herald. The selectmen approved the donation of up to $212,500. For tax relief for seniors. The selectmen approved a request from the Council on Aging to double the amount for the senior work-off program from $750 to $1,500. The program allows eligible seniors to get a deduction on their property taxes in exchange for working for the COA or other town departments. The COA was also asking for an increase in the income eligibility amount for a single residence from $56,000 to $72,000 to adjust for inflation. However, this change was not approved by the selectmen. The income eligibility for married couples is 86000 Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. Helping Conservation Efforts with Sheep by Angela Toma. Joan Teabaggy is a retired engineer with what she calls a passion for farmy things. She grew up in Belmont and has always, been, has always held an interest for sustainable agriculture. Over the years, she has spent much of her time working and volunteering on local farms. After retiring, she decided to pursue this interest further. Teabaggy had heard about nearby communities such as Lincoln implementing conservation grazing. This uses livestock grazing as a means to maintain and increase the biodiversity of natural or semi-natural grasslands. 
Teabaggy thought this might be an interesting program to try out in Belmont's Rock Meadow Conservation Land. For a meadow to stay a meadow, it has to be either mowed, grazed, or burned, said Teabaggy. Otherwise, in New England, it would just go back to woods. According to Teabaggy, Belmont has been mowing Rock Meadow annually to maintain the land. She says that grazing is a greener method and can have a positive impact on the soil, such as improving carbon sesquitation. In 2015, Teabaggy approached Belmont's Conservation Commission with the idea. They liked it and decided to give her the go-ahead to set up a pilot program. The commission set aside two acres of land inside Rock Meadow for the project. Every summer, Teabaggy acquires between five and six sheep. This year, they have five. Taking care of the sheep is a lot of work, especially this year's sweltering summer heat. During the day, the sheep are confined in an electric net that protects them from loose dogs and coyotes. The netting is rotated around the two acres so it is not to overgraze the same area. In the evenings, the sheep are penned up in a portable hut. For the most part, Teabaggy has not had any trouble protecting her sheep. On the whole, Teabaggy has, uh, has said that the Belmont community has been supportive of her initiative. The only complaint she has received concerns what she does with the sheep in the winter. Since this is a pilot program, there are no permanent structures housing the sheep. As a result, Teabaggy has to sell the sheep when the weather becomes too cold to keep them outside. Unfortunately, we don't have a place in Belmont to winter the sheep, so I generally have, to, have been using lambs, and at the end of the season they get slaughtered, she said. For Teabaggy, this uncomfortable truth brings up good discussions about where our food comes from. Of course, we are sad. No one likes the thought of the lambs becoming meat, but then everyone walks down the supermarket without a care, she said. This is a great way for animals to be raised out on pastures and maybe makes people uh, think more about where their food comes from and what is involved in it. Teabaggy hopes to see the program become a permanent fixture in Belmont. She wants to get better fencing and even add goats to the livestock. Whether or not she can do this, she said, will depend on the Conservation Commission and their goals for Rock Meadow. And now over to Thomas. Thank you, Bob. Master Plan Developed for Rock Meadow by Angela Toma. The Belmont Conservation Commission, in conjunction with the Conway School, has created a 10-year master plan to enhance and preserve the wildlife and natural landscape of the town's Rock Meadow conservation land. While the plan is completed, the commission is still in the early stages of execution. 70 acres of wetlands, streams, woods, and meadow make up the public conservation area known to Belmont as Rock Meadow. The land is part of the Western Greenway, undeveloped green spaces that join together Waltham, Lexington, and Belmont. It features diverse habitats, and both Belmont residents and non-residents alike enjoy the area for hiking, biking, picnicking, and community gardening. The Conservation Commission acquired oversight and stewardship of the property after Belmont purchased the land from McLean Hospital in 1968. They look after the mowing of the fields and the paths, as well as administer the community gardens. 
However, the area is not protected by conservation restrictions, meaning there is no defined use of the land. Conservation Commission board member Jeffrey North said the Commission often receives requests to use the property in ways other than conservation, such as for dumping snow from Belmont streets or parking for various events. The Commission approves or denies these requests as they come in, but they soon realized that they needed to think long-term about the meadow's use and what the land might look like for future generations. Agent of the Commission, Mary Trudeau, and other Conservation Commission members set out to remedy this problem. The Commission gave the students four main objectives. First, to design an eco-historic walking tour. Second, to develop a management plan for controlling and reducing aggressive exotic plants. Third, to increase ecosystems, ecological corridors, and wildlife habitat. And fourth, to redesign the main parking lot to accommodate more cars and reduce erosion. The Conway student team both worked with the Commission and engaged the Belmont community to collect input on design priorities. They held two public meetings in May 2018 where they discussed initial site analysis and heard feedback from the public. They completed the plan in July. The plan is comprehensive and contains cost estimates which range from $635,000 to $984,000. It includes the creation of observation decks, a picnic area on Piggery Foundation, a nature-inspired playground of logs, stumps, and log piles, an Americans with Disabilities Act compliant trail to provide walker and wheelchair access, an eco-historical tour with educational signage, and much more. There are also detailed recommendations that address concerns regarding maintenance of the property. How much of the plan the Commission might implement will depend on funding. They may have access to town money, but they will most likely rely on grants and donations. The Commission is only in the first phase of this 10-year-long plan, but they hope to begin moving the project forward as soon as possible. And now back to Max. Thank you, Thomas. Local author publishes new novel, When We Disappear, by Joanna Kate Savellis. Belmont resident Lise Haynes recently published her fourth novel, When We Disappear, a mystery with two first-person narrators. In one storyline, we follow a father who loses his job and leaves his family in search of an opportunity. In the other storyline, we follow his teenage daughter who tries to hold the family together. Both must confront a reality that haunts them, said Haynes. Haynes has been writing since she was about nine years old when she wrote a novel about a cat, but became more serious about writing novels as a career when she was in her 20s. When she's not writing, Haynes is a senior writer-in-residence at Emerson College. I have the privilege of working with bright, accomplished students on their stories, opening up a deep conversation about literature and providing information on the fiction market and the creative life, she said. Haynes sat down with the Belmont Citizen Herald recently to talk about her new book and her career. How do you come up with the ideas for your stories? Many things work together. I have the blessing and curse of a vivid imagination. My parents were journalists, so stories were a big part of my childhood as well as conversations on wide-ranging subjects. I love to read fiction and at least one newspaper every day. I also have an endless curiosity and interest in people. If you tell me you operate a backhoe, I want to know how the machinery works, how you feel after a long day of running this equipment, when something went wrong, and so on. 
What inspired you to write your first novel, In My Sister's Country? As a journalist, my mother worked on saving some of the grand old houses in Chicago that had fallen into disrepair and were threatened with the wrecking ball. Much of In My Sister's Country is set in a ruin of a home that has a ballroom and an intercom system for upstairs maids, yet the mother and her two daughters can barely afford to heat any of the house. The eldest sister rents out the maids' quarters to a man the rest of the family never sees. So this book involves a mystery. What inspired you to write When We Disappear? People do a lot of strange and terrible things in this world, and we want to know how do they look themselves in the mirror each day. That's part of what I wanted to understand. How does someone who seems to have good intentions do something so wrong, and then how do they live with that act day in and day out? Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. What is, uh, what is inspiring people to participate in Belmont Porch Fest by Mary Bradley? Registration for the Belmont Porch Fest is closed, with 70 performances and 59 porches signed up for the event on Saturday, the September the 8th. A rain date is Sunday, September 9th. Nearly half of the performers and porches signed up as a pair. The other half are waiting to learn with whom they are matched. We applaud the adventurous and generous spirit of our hosts. We ask them what inspired them to participate in Porch Fest, and here's what they said. Chris Herrick, I decided to host because I love the arts and excited to have the opportunity for something like this to come to Belmont. This has been a cool event in neighboring towns. I grew up here, and I would like to, I would be proud to see everyone come together to support a fun community event. Sonia Plassant, I decided to volunteer as a porch host because I think this is a wonderful way to bring together the community of Belmont. I can't wait to hear the music streaming from porches throughout Belmont. Seeing our friends and neighbors perform and hearing music of all varieties will be an experience we can all enjoy and remember together. Rachel Vandervoort stated, when a band started by parents at my children's school, Cambridge Montessori School, asked us to host them in Belmont's Porch Fest, I was beyond excited. I have heard so many great things about Porch Fests in other towns. What a great way to enjoy a fall afternoon and bring some music to Belmont. Whenever I see this band play, I get my dancing shoes on, and I know others will too. Joanna Zuvalis. Stony Brook Road is such a quiet street. We try to have a block party once a year. I see Belmont Porch Fest as a way to bring not only our neighborhood, our neighborhood together, but residents from all over. It's a community celebration and an appreciation of art, performing, and talent. And over to Thomas. Thank you, Bob. Belmont High Students Experience Peru by Joanna Kate Zabellis. 27 Belmont High School students, along with three chaperones, departed on a cultural and service learning tour of Peru on June 23rd. Josh Strite, Belmont High School economics teacher and lacrosse coach, organized the trip with the goals of connecting Belmont students to the history of Peru and the Inca, connecting them with a different culture, and to connect them with students and people who are simultaneously a lot like them and a lot different from them. According to Strite, the whirlwind tour started with a day touring the Peruvian capital of Lima, 
before returning to the airport for a domestic flight to the Andean city of Cusco, the gateway to Machu Picchu. Quote, On their way to Machu Picchu, the travelers were immersed in Peruvian culture, eating alpaca steak for lunch, touring a Peruvian pottery factory, visiting an alpaca and llama garment warehouse, and driving through the Peruvian countryside along the Inca Trail, wrote Streit in an email to the Citizen Herald. On the third day, the students and chaperones took a train from the town of Ochantambo to Aguas Calientes, where they would be staying for their visit to Machu Picchu. Quote, the town of Aguas Calientes is a small and quaint mountainside village, complete with a river running down the heart of it. In the morning, the villagers can be seen transporting various products from the train tracks to the stores via pushcart, since there was only one car road that ran halfway up the town parallel to the village, wrote Streit. When they arrived in Machu Picchu, Streit said they learned the ruins and picturesque mountain they had seen on many travel brochures and posters was not in fact Machu Picchu, but an unnamed city in the shadow of a mountain called Machu Picchu. Whatever the name, the travelers were overwhelmed by the awe-inspiring views and the beauty of the ruins and mountains and, of course, the many llamas grazing throughout the grounds, he wrote. After Machu Picchu, the group returned to the sacred valley of the Inca to meet their service project coordinator and begin their work on their service learning project. The Belmont Group was paired up with the Sacred Valley Project, a nonprofit whose objective is to create housing close to the cities and villages of the Sacred Valley so that girls who live throughout the area have a place to stay during the week in order to access education. Quote, the group learned that universal education is not something that is granted by the Peruvian government to all, especially those in rural communities, and even more so to women, wrote Streit in an email. The Sacred Valley Project has built two dormitories, one in the town of Oichantambo and one in the town of Calca, so that young girls, who have to travel up to eight hours from their houses, can access local education. The Belmont students spent two days constructing rock and mud walls, sanding and painting the walls, excavating earth to make mud in a pebble driveway, and moving large boulders throughout the grounds. And now back to Max. Thanks, Thomas. Fall Festival volunteers needed. Plans are in full swing for the Cushing Square Fest Fall Festival on September 11th, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Volunteers are needed to fill two time slots from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m., and 12.30 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. Back to you, Bob. Along with my colleagues, uh, Thomas and Max, we thank you for listening to The Talking News and hope you've enjoyed the show. We will return next week for another edition of Local News Happenings Around Belmont. <laughs>